0: Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. My day job is as a coach helping people live better lives. I coach executives and leaders. I coach entrepreneurs and I coach civilians who are looking to improve their lives, their health, their relationships. Basically, it allows me to do what I didn't think was possible, which is to help people completely erase bad habits and different ways of being, erase negative feelings and replace them with positive ones rather than just help people develop new strategies to compete with the old ones or new thought patterns to debate the old thought patterns. And I'm looking for people to work with. And I have reduced my rates a lot so that I can just get as much practice in as I can. So I am going to raise them back up to my normal fees but right now I just need a lot, a lot of practice and feedback and I have teachers and mentors. So if you're interested in getting my best coaching, better than I've ever done, at a big discount, email me HJ at plantyourself.com. So let's get on with the show. So I'm an entrepreneur and a small business owner. Um, I work for myself, I make my living writing, teaching, coaching, training, consulting. And I also have this podcast. And I've had this podcast for over 10 years. And it's not really part of my business. It never kind of was. And I've seen other people's plant-based podcasts, you know, blow up and get sponsorships and catapult them to book deals and all sorts of wonderful things. And I've always felt like I've got to be really pure. And I can't have any sponsorships. I can't sell ads. I can can't get affiliate commissions from people that I have on the show. And on the one hand, it feels great to just be able to do whatever I want to have whatever guest I want to not have to worry about offending anyone or having to tout some particular, um, you know, supplement that then turns out not to be that useful or even dangerous. But at the same time, it certainly has limited my impact in, in at least in terms of scale. And, I have had my whole life a very tenuous uh, and conflictual relationship with business, with the idea of making money, with the idea of getting big. And so I'm delighted to talk today to Mark Silver, who has written a book called Heart Centered Business, and he is the founder of heartofbusiness.com, which is also a small business that helps people like me who want to make a difference, who want to be good in the world but also get our needs met and to do so in a way without having to compromise our values through you know sleazy marketing and sales tactics through spending you know hours and hours and hours doing things we hate doing just because the business needs them or giving up altogether and just getting a job and not sharing our gifts with the world at all. So that's what this conversation is really about. We start out by talking about the big myths that make business icky for people and what we can do and what we can think about and how to go about building a small business that really serves the world while it's serving, nourishing, and sustaining us as well. Hope you enjoy. So without further ado... Mark Silver, welcome back to the Plant
1: Yourself podcast. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm delighted to have you back. Because you've just um, written a book which which feels like it's like a very daunting book to write because it's comprehensive. It's not like <laughs> I'm writing this book and there's one thing that you know is 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 meaningful to me right now where I think can help people. You really kind of wrote a book about the, your entire system and philosophy. Um, and, and I've known of you and known your work and been following you for a long time, but there was plenty in here that just hit me at a whole other level. So I just want mm. to th- thank you for, you know, you've done all the blogs, you've done all the videos, you have know, but there's something about putting it in a book that I think is a very generous thing to, to put out into the world. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting distillation process. I've never had ambitions to be a published author, just, and when this opportunity came up, it was the right thing to do. I just felt it in my heart and kind of pursued it. But the, like the level of editing and work that goes into making a book is a whole, it's just a whole different level. And I'm just, I'm, I, I now know, like so many authors do, what kind of a team effort it is. And I'm just deeply grateful to my wife, Holly, and my developmental editor, Andrea, who just, you know, and the publisher, Wildhouse, who really helped to uh, make the book sparkle. It's like, it's way beyond (laughs) the effort I put into a blog post usually. And it's, it's, uh, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that it landed so beautifully with you.
0: Yeah. So if if I remember later, I'm going to ask you like what you learned, what you didn't know until you wrote the book. But why don't we start with you know where where my listeners are at like who the hell are you and what you do um, <laughs> right? so maybe start by saying that, that you know the, the the title of the book and your and a little bit of your business and just kind of reintroduce yourself to folks
1: sure well um the book is um heart-centered business healing from toxic business culture so your small business can thrive you know for the last 23 plus years, um, I've been working with thousands of business owners, uh, to people that really want to make a difference in the world and their business has to work in order to do that. They need to make a profit and, uh, the work that we do helps people realize that every act of business can be an act of love. And, um, and we work primarily with smaller businesses, micro-sized businesses and, um, And we really I really want to (sighs) there's so much I could say here, but, you know, business has been such a terrible dysfunctional toxic force in the world over the last few centuries, you know, since the invention of capitalism, really, Um, even though commerce and trade has existed as long as humans have been around um, in various forms. Um, that we need, um, we, we need a, We need deep healing. It's not the only thing that's needed. Um, there's so much that's needed to have the beautiful world that we know we can have. But business, healing in the realm of business is definitely a big one. And I see small businesses, healthy, vibrant small businesses, uh, being a part of the big transition, uh, that can, yeah, that can help bring us into a healthier culture.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, if, if it's got to start somewhere, it's going to start with the people who are closest to already agreeing with you. And, and, and those are and those are the people who are not going into business because it's so toxic. Right. And so, well, you know, if, if, if you're going to if we're going to start somewhere, I would argue that the you know, the kind of people who are feel called in their hearts to create these micro businesses that can be enough and can be helpful right like we they're the ones who are going to be the vanguard of of any kind of consciousness
1: shift i i think i think so for a lot of different reasons but they're also the ones who can you know get hit the hardest because you know they don't have the deep pockets of a large corporation they don't um uh you know it's it's easy to feel alone it's easy to feel like the combination of the work that's that you think you need to do to make the business successful as well as the personal development and growth and spiritual journey of trying to put a, a healthy business into the world and earn your living from it. It's a <laughs> it can be quite a lot. Um, and to do that solo. <clears throat> I just it's just it's it's um I don't want anyone to have to go through that solo you know I don't want to have mm-hmm. anyone to have to feel like they're all alone on the journey you know even a relatively small business but one that's already a corporation has a team there's people around you know and there's others to share the journey but so many people in micro sized businesses maybe there's a few people around uh and uh, but a lot of people start out solo and I don't want I don't want them to feel like they have to do that by themselves because it's too, it's too big a burden for anyone to do anything in this world on our own.
0: Yeah. Well, so one of, one of my favorite things is when I go to Facebook and I see you've written another blog post explaining why this or that prevailing ethos in Internet marketing or get rich quick or entrepreneurship is harmful and utter bullshit and people should stop doing it and should <laughs> <laughs> like run away from people who do it. And you know, it's just this, this beautiful, clear calling out. So maybe, maybe we start there. Cause I, you know, just a, I don't, you know, from, from my story is I was a school teacher for many years and just I didn't want to touch business. I didn't know anyone who was in business. I didn't know how anyone made more than $29,000 a year and then somehow i stumbled upon internet marketing in 2002 and you know right time right place and you know was basically learning oh this is direct marketing for a new medium and here's everything we know about direct marketing from you know right you know claude hopkins and and all this stuff and it was it was tremendously effective and yet i found myself so many times feeling like well I could be like, I'm smarter than these guys. I could be more successful than, than my peers if I would only be willing to do the things they were doing. And, and, and I couldn't articulate why I didn't want to do them or if I did them, why I did them half-assed. You know, the little, the little manipulations, the little tricks, the little, you know, what, one of the things I learned from my first copywriting teacher is, you know, you have bullets in a sales letter. He says, bullets are supposed to wound, right? And I was like, oh, that's great advice. <laughs> That's how you get them, and you know, and so, so, the, you know, I had a struggling business for about a decade, and I, I was good at so, it, and I, I helped people, and I charged good money, like that but still,
1: it, like it was the whole on, thing and on, was on and so on, and it's so emotional, and it's so painful. You know, most of the people that we work with, you know, some of them kind of forged ahead, half-assed, like you say, uh, because they just didn't know any other way to do it. And many people just, they can't, you know, they've already been exposed to enough toxicity, maybe in the corporate world, maybe in another context, maybe just, you know, in life. And they just won't follow through if it doesn't feel right. If it doesn't feel ethical, if it doesn't match their values. And so many people struggle in their businesses because of that. Or, um, you know, because they won't follow through. And I just, I so support them. Like, that's, that's wisdom. You know, I start out the book, the very beginning of the book that if you have issues with business, that's legitimate. Like, I don't want you to get over that. There's wisdom there. And it's going to help you discern your way through, um, uh, you know, to finding the, the path that that is ethical, that is heart-centered, rather than getting sucked into these kinds of, um, oh my God, bullets are supposed to wound. I mean, uh, you know, how dead do you have to be inside to want to do that to people, just to get money from them? You know, that's a
0: Oh, but it was, and it was almost never put to me like that, right? There was always, there was always this veneer of like, you know, the, if you saw somebody you know, in a burning building and, you know, what would you do to get them out if they weren't well, like, aware? you know, the- truth well, is that, just you know, and, and I, bill I was a volunteer and you firefighter, you, to run <laughs> you know, when you're rescuing because,
1: people, right? they want to get, out there's not like a lot of confusion what about what's than wanted than in those situations, you know. <laughs> yes, they want to get out of the building. Yes, they want to be saved. There's not, you know, it's like uh, to create these kinds of metaphors that are so inherently false, <laughs> you know, and that, and, you know, because I used to be a first responder, I was a career paramedic years ago. It's like one of the things that i ask people to do when they're faced with these kinds of selling tactics is if you slow everything down it's often easier to see your way through some of the um manipulative sales techniques if you're being subject to them because you know they so depend on um people being in a reaction being you know, uh, agitated, being reactive, being uncomfortable, or in um, emotional pain.
0: And here we are on Zoom. After uh, Riverside didn't didn't uh, hold up for us. Um, so one one of the things that struck me the fur there were so many little mindset shifts that that occurred for me, and I really you know for a lot of them it was sort of like lagging indicators. Like oh, I believe this. But I didn't know I believed it or I didn't know how to articulate it. So one one of the, the big ones was just that there are stages to business the same way that there are stages to a human being. And you wouldn't ask an infant to drive a car. Right. And and just, you know, like giving people a sense of what's realistic, especially in a, in a get quick, rich sort of world that leaves so many people feeling like, boy, it's been a year or two and I'm not where I thought I should be. Talk about like how how
1: you came to that realization. Well, it's, you know, it's so interesting because, um, you know, (laughs) I've been doing this nearly a quarter of a century, right? And I've worked with so many people. And, you know, after some years of doing this, I began to kind of see like, gosh, somebody needs, to, oh, they, they're struggling with it. They need to know this and they need to know this. They need to know this. And so we started, I started kind of really getting my arms around all the different skills and different things that not only need to be learned, but put in place. And, um. and then I saw how people were um, really shaming themselves, really uh, feeling terrible about themselves when they just didn't have the knowledge. They just didn't have the experience. And so people would would say, you know, I'd say, you know, okay, how long did you spend learning your modality? Whether it was coaching or consulting or some kind of healing modality or acupuncture, you know, people had spent months or years learning it. And then once you learn it and you start working with people, working with clients, it takes so much longer to actually become competent and then masterful with it. It just it takes time. But they weren't giving themselves the same time with their business. And when I started to kind of really put all the pieces in place, like what are the pieces that really are needed? You know, I, w- I was trying to be really responsible as a as a business educator and consultant and coach to and healer to to say, okay, so what are all the practical pieces that people need to know for the business to actually work? And when I put them, when I laid them all out, I started to kind of arrange them in an order that made the easiest sense. And I began to then see the stages, like the stages started to kind of emerge for me going, Oh, there's this stage. There's, you know, I detail it all in the book that you saw that, like you said, um, and i was at first afraid to tell people <laughs> uh you know yeah. a little a little bit nervous not not afraid but like i would i'm like are people going to be overwhelmed are they going to be turned off like and the overwhelming response from folks was the same one and, I, and now i kind of depend on it is just relief like oh there's nothing wrong with me there's nothing wrong with my business when you put it that way it makes sense it just takes time, you know, and I began to observe that for people who actually then followed this, followed the developmental stages. It doesn't, have, it's not exactly linear. You don't have to do it in the exact order that I lay it out, but it's helpful to most people if you follow the general order and to go from like absolute creation startup all the way into the the third stage. There's a fourth stage that's optional, but the third stage, I was watching people, the fastest I saw someone go people go through it was like around eighteen months, but usually three, four, five years with successes and making money along the way, but to get to a place where the business was really stable and dependable and felt fun. Three, four, five years and people just felt such a they felt like they could take a breath. They felt like, oh, I don't have to do this at a sprint. Oh, there's nothing wrong with me. Oh, I can take my time with something to really learn it and be in integrity with it rather than slap dash all of these pieces in place as fast as I can and feel off balance and out of integrity in the process.
0: I mean, we certainly hear both, you know, slap dash. Like just get it good. You know, up is better than done, and there's truth to that. There is, and but we but we also hear like, how bad do you want it? Like, you know, like you know, ninety nine percent of people aren't willing to do what it takes, and so the entrepreneur hears that, said, well, I guess I, you know, I guess I have to spend hundred hour weeks. I have to sacrifice family, health,
1: friends. Yeah, that's love. Such, a pati- such a particular lie. You know, ninety nine percent of people aren't willing to do it. I think that's really healthy. 99% of people, whatever the percentage is, aren't willing to sacrifice their health or sacrifice their relationships that are most important to them or sacrifice a sense of ethics and a sense of morality and a sense of, of care in crafting their business and helping their business develop and helping people in the world in order to chase after this impossible capitalist dream or nightmare, as it were you know, to just try to make the most money as fast as possible. You know, I, uh, we live on a little bit of property here in central Pennsylvania and we like to garden and we also are interested in permaculture and food forestry and things like that. And we planted, you know, fruit trees. And, you know, we planted trees that uh, were not from seed, they were already saplings. Um, in the third year, we finally got our first peaches off the peach trees, the other trees haven't fruited yet at all. And we got a handful of peaches, like, you know, not, you know, but I know that if the peach trees survive, and they continue to do well, in a few years, we're gonna have way more peaches than we can eat. <laughs> and, and it just like it just it takes time for the tree to put that many branches in place and have that many leaves and to have the root system. Right. And so it's, um, to not like we, there's so many examples of places where we bring patience, whether it's a child growing or fruit tree or, um, you know, cooking a meal or whatever, where we just see that. And we, if we can bring that same compassion and patience and perseverance, without harming ourselves to business development, of course you can do it. You don't, it's not 1% of entrepreneurs, way more, per, way more people than that can be, have a successful business. Um, if they're willing to give it time and willing to give it care and willing to learn the pieces that are involved.
0: Yeah. So I feel like going going back to an even uh, more fundamental claim that you make, which and you mentioned it that every act of business can be an act of love. That you are, you know, you are a spiritual teacher and healer as well in in the Sufi tradition. I think you described yourself as a Sufi Jewish Muslim. Muslim, Yes, (laughs)
1: it's true. Some
0: (laughs) some combination of those words. Yes. Um, So, like, what you're what you're also saying is that for people who tend to have a a spiritual side to them or for whom that's important, they don't have to leave that at the door when they go to work. When they create when they create a business, in fact, you talk about the jewel, right? That that part of ourselves that believes in something greater, whether it's a divinity or a, a mutual spirit or a beneficent force in the universe, that that business can be not only aligned with it, but a flowering expression of it.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, so uh, just briefly for people who are confused by the Jewish Muslim thing, uh, I was raised Jewish. My family's Jewish, Eastern European. And, uh, and about 20 some years ago, I took Shahada and I've been a practicing Sufi Muslim since then, but I still feel completely Jewish. The two religions are not contrary to all the craziness out there there's um there's no significant contradiction between the two and in fact the Quran mentions the Torah many times and a lot of the stories are the same so i just wanted to kind of say that so in an in an understanding of this kind of a monotheist or Theistic approach to spirituality and I talk about it in the book. there's not a belief in a big beard in the sky. We're not talking about like some angry other being that's sitting in judgment and kind of ordering things. It's a It's an understanding that I think that I've found in so many different paths and religions and spiritualities around the globe, which is just this this experience of oneness that there is a oneness that we are all an expression of and that everything is an expression of. And if that's really true, which the, my own personal experiences tell me that, and I'm not going to try to convince anybody of that, but that's where I'm coming from, then everything is that. Everything is an expression of that, including business. It's not like business. It's not like there's the oneness from, you know, that's from which the galaxies and the universe and the stars and the planets and the whole earth and the oceans and the mountains, all, you know, and all of us are expressions of, except for business. <laughs> like it's not like this mm-hmm. special thing that's outside of reality. And so it can be an expression of love. It hasn't been, a lot of people have not spent the time to find the love that's inherent in business as it is inherent in everything. Uh, but if we take the time to look, I I don't believe in what I um, think of as like gas tank spiritual approach to business where you fill up on spirituality you know do your prayer meditation or what have you fill up with a good feeling and then come to business until you run down again and then go fill up again (laughs) instead i want to encourage all of us to like is love possible and care in a sales conversation in your website in You know, how you craft your offer in how you choose your pricing and, uh, you know, your systems and your structures of the business. I believe it is. And that's what uh, my work has been about is bringing that out and uh, discovering and naming and describing ways to approach every aspect of business from a place of love and a place of um, sustainability and a place of relational connection can, you know, connective love based, um, work, you know, there's not a, there's not, there's no place in life that love doesn't belong.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of folks, maybe, I don't know of what, of what age can remember a love based business like you know, maybe there there was a local tailor, right? Where you know my kids mm-hmm. remember their their pediatric dentist, who would speak in a you know Donald Duck voice and and have cartoons playing and right, you, right. like okay, well you know the guy's doing good. I mean, you know he's got a full waiting room, he's got you know four assistants and three, like he's clearly successful but it didn't look like an act. It wasn't like, you know, he, the camera stops rolling and he's like, God takes care of the bastards for today.
1: Right. 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 (laughs) Right. And you know, what's funny is that, yeah, well, what's funny is that so many people like, I, I think that there's a lot of examples of that of people who are like when they're dealing with their clients or their patients or the people that they're serving, that kind of care comes out naturally And I think where people trip up is when they like, okay, so when the people are doing the billing and they're sending out the invoices, uh, do they have that same sense of connection and care and remembering like, oh, yeah, these are going out to human beings or we're going to set up the system, you know. or the legal framework for the business? Like, is there a way to then express care for people? Like, you know, do does an invoice need to look like some cold piece of hard legalistic thing, or can it express that same kind of care? It can. It can express the care and the love. And, um, and you can build into your business um, uh, structures and supports and business models that you know help to care for people you know if people are struggling financially is your business set up not to care for everybody we can't expect an individual business to undo or overturn or make up for the systemic financial injustices in our system but can it do some of that can it do a little bit you know can it care for a certain number of people Within the structure of that business, and um, and it can, you know, people people can do that. They can bring that same care that you have when you're facing a client to all aspects of the business.
0: Yeah. So let's let's go there for a little bit about you know just sort of pricing because I've you know I, I grew up the child of a labor organizer where you know the. The, the mantra of my childhood was "up, up with the workers, down with the bo- up with the wages, down with the bosses."
1: Right, and, and- I was a shop steward in in uh, in a union when I was a paramedic, okay. SEIU okay. Local 250. So, yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh-huh. Okay. So we have, you know, so there's that that feeling that both that that you know, good up, you know, wages should be up, but there's always this question, like, you know, if I set a price. It feels very win-lose, right? If I raise my price by a dollar, then someone else is out a dollar and that comes to me. And like how much is it okay? Right, but we shouldn't have billionaires, but aren't there some good billionaires? And you know, can right. I, how much like can yeah. I go on a nice vacation somewhere in a town where there's people begging? Like all of it comes.
1: I know. To the I know. Head there. Well, see, this is the challenge because we have these huge systemic injustices. Like in a healthy culture. There would be, you know, not not every, not. I mean, there are different versions. In some healthy cultures, maybe everybody would have exactly the same. In other healthy cultures, there could be disparities where some people had more and some people had less. But in a truly healthy culture, we would not have people homeless and starving, right, while other people had so much. We would be able to have a sense of collective care to make sure that everybody had, you know, enough to be cared for. And then would some people have a little more? Sure. Is that a, is that harm if everybody's being cared for? Not necessarily. When we have um, the kind of situation that we have now, where, um, especially here in the United States, we have so many people houseless, uh, without shelter. We have so many people food insecure. We have so many people impoverished. I, you know, I'm not going to get into the details of it, but I truly think that uh, billionaires should not exist. I don't know where the line is. I don't know if anyone can just draw the line where this amount of money is okay and this amount of money is unethical. But I do know that billions are unethical. No single person should control or family should control that much wealth. Is it okay in our culture, uh, you know, for people to have a few millions so that they can have retirement, they have a nice house, they, you know, they 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 can care for their loved ones? I don't see that as unethical. There's enough wealth here that we. We could care for everyone and have some, you know, and have that. Um, And I think that, um, and I don't, I think it's capitalism that creates this win-lose picture. Like if I get a dollar, then you lose a dollar. I think that it's much more people's experience that when they do have enough, if they're getting help from someone, they're happy to pay the person. We've, we've, you know, we go through a somatic, heart-centered, resonant price exercise with our clients, where they check in to see what the right price is. And many of our clients are undercharging because they care, and because there's also, um, you know, they the challenge asking for what they truly need. So many of us are. But the response when they come up to a to a resonant price, a price that's really gonna support them, the one that feels right in their heart, so many they, they're not then like going sky's the limit and charging some unethically high price. They're usually just coming up to a price that's really supporting them. And so many times they report back, you know, when I went to my clients, I was so scared, tell them about the price rise. But when I did, they said, I wondered when you were gonna finally raise your prices. Here, I'm so happy to be supporting you. That is a much more common response because I think it's a much more common response for us to care for one another. I wanna see you do well, you wanna see me do well. We wanna care for one another. When we're put to extremes and when you know someone is starving and when someone doesn't have a home, People have different kinds of reactions to that kind of trauma. But even when that happens so often, people are still helping one another. There's still a spirit of generosity. The only time where we really consistently see people kind of withdraw that sense of generosity is when they become ultra-wealthy. It's not across the board. It's not universal. There are plenty of people that are generous when they're ultra-wealthy. But there's also this, um, they've done studies to show that when somebody becomes ultra wealthy, again, I'm talking hundreds of millions, billions, you know, like these unethically high amounts of money, that more money than they could spend in generations, you know, uh, they can buy multiple houses and boats and have so much money in the bank, and still have more than that and still want more than that. They've shown that people when they're when they have that kind of wealth, they begin to believe falsehoods they begin to believe oh it's because I'm better than other people it's because you know they don't think of the the fortune they have they don't think of the exploitation that was necessary for them to gain truly that much money and um and it disconnects you it disconnects you from what I think is a really healthy interdependency on each other and um yeah and that doesn't kick in when you have enough to retire on and to care for mm-hmm. yourself and to have a nice vacation, but it kicks in at higher levels. and I think we have to we have to really guard our hearts, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of the people who are listening to this are probably like your clients undercharging, right. right. So what you know that comes with a cost in turn, right? It's not like, um, you know, I was I was reading another book that talked about like had these quadrants about whether you're you know sort of me centered or we centered, and whether you're expansive or con- extractive, and mm. it's like and they talked about the quadrant that is um, we but extractive is called people pleasing, right? Where you're mm, right you're you're trying to get your needs
1: met you don't you've been probably usually people that have had some kind of trauma on them or if they've been you know you you know women that have been subjected to so much sexism and patriarchy where they've never had the freedom to be able to clearly state their own needs without getting pushed down you know find sideways ways to get their needs met you know that's a that's a function of systemic injustice and when people are are caught in that it's like I, that sounds like a really brilliant what's the name of the book that sounds like a brilliant uh, um if you remember that's called becoming, becoming coachable oh interesting it's, well i think it, it sounds like a it sounds like a brilliant insight into that structure
0: yeah and, the, and their point they're, they're they're not trying to you know dig into the traumatic um antecedents but but rather just pointing out that people-pleasing is not actually the same as helping your community flourish, right? Right, because you, and you talk in the book about like you, if you need to get your needs met, just don't get them met where they can be met. Don't get right. the, don't get your needs for for affirmation met in two hour sales conversations.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. And I think that you know I, I I said this earlier, but I think it bears repeating: is that we cannot individually make up for systemic injustices. We cannot, you know, when when there's a need for collective care, I've seen so many people from a place of deep care say, oh, I can't charge that much because then the people that are like me that need the help won't be able to afford it. I um, The challenge with that is that the people, that capitalism that our culture demands the most from and gives the least to, people of color, women, queer folks, Um, are the ones that are then asked to do more for free or for less, you know, (laughs) and, and, and exhausted and become depleted just from a business perspective. If you can charge a resonant price and get that from clients that can pay you and then you can be full, then when you get the guidance in your heart, while this individual, I just had someone pop up who's been in really, been a member of our community, really desperate situation. And um, I said, would it be helpful if we gave you a free membership for a year? And, you know, from a place of fullness, it's easy to offer that. But if I offer that across the board to everyone who approaches, then we don't have the resources to be able to offer it when we're really being asked by the divine, by our hearts, by a sense of collective care to help individuals. And I'd much rather see that used in a more precise manner, rather than just categorically undercharging so that nobody really gets the help that they need.
0: Right, thank you, that's, that's really helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So another thing that, uh, that, that slapped me in a very lovely way was your idea that, that marketing is about safety. Yes. As I learned as I said just the opposite bullets wound. you want to kind of you know find their find their 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 pain point and push it till their eyes water and then promise them a solution and you're and, and what was also interesting is like you had a model of like a sales letter about a, you know that was not different. From the one that I learned from a totally opposite perspective around here's the problem here's why you haven't solved it so far here's my approach and why it might be different like
1: I'm doing all that but it comes from a completely different place it's such that you know intention doesn't you know I, there's a saying in social justice work that uh, intention is not greater than impact meaning that if you have an intention to do good but you still have terrible practices you can really still cause harm. (laughs) And that's true. However, if we let intention inform our actions, it changes those actions in, in sometimes really profound ways. So like in the example that you're talking about, uh, you know, a lot of people have this reaction to talking about, um, pain points because they've been used so manipulatively exactly the way you've described. This is how I talk about it. Cause that's what's being taught, you know, like activate somebody's trauma response to the point where they're so agitated and then buying from you soothes the trauma response <laughs> in some way. Um, and that's a manipulative, obviously terrible um, toxic way to get sales. However, people are still struggling. If you can see your clients as whole, if you can see your clients as divine and beautiful, and you can still see them in their struggling, there's a there's a quote in, in Sufism that is attributed to God that says, I was a hidden treasure and I yearned to be known. And so I created the creation in order mm. to be known. That desire to be witnessed, to be known, to be seen is the creative impulse that created the creation from a Sufi point of view. And we, you know, we all have that deep need to be seen. So if you skate over the challenges that people have, then they don't feel seen. But if you can also see them as whole, you know, if I, there's a difference between like, if someone's a chiropractor and they say, um, you know, you've had a terrible back injury and you you may never pick up your child again. If you don't get your back fixed, get in here quick. You know, that kind of energy is exactly what you were talking about. Um, it's so toxic. But you can easily say, you know, you have had an active, wonderful life. You've had, like so many people, an injury that's made it impossible for you to do certain things. We know that people can heal from these kinds of things and i just want you to have hope that your body has the ability to heal i have one way of doing that you know and if you resonate with how i work you you know let's see if i can help you it's very different it doesn't box people in people feel seen they feel a sense of hope they feel like oh yeah my body can heal from that i can pick my child up again but they're not like, oh, this is the only solution. If you don't come to me, you're doomed. It's like, oh, it leaves a sense of it. it brings a sense of safety because they feel seen and and respected and cared for. And when, when people get that, oh, my, my marketing isn't trying to grab people and pull them in. Attraction is the province of love. We can't manufacture love. We can receive it. We can fill with it. We can express it, but we can't manufacture it. Hmm. When we bring that caring that our heart naturally has for the people that we want to serve. And then we think about the ways that they might feel unsafe or nervous or anxious coming in to see us to get the help. And we Know, and we put that and we bring that attention to our marketing going, how can I help someone feel cared for and safe enough to at least be able to then discern whether they want my help? That is such a different way to approach marketing. It's very effective. It creates trust, but it's non-toxic. It's non-traumatic.
0: Yeah. Well, what suddenly came to me is, you know, 10, 10 years ago, there was a lot of talk around pickup artists. Like there are all these guys <laughs> right, who are like, you know, the game and how, and it was, you know, it was very cool in a way. Like, like the, the mind could work this way and you could, people could have this kind of power. And for a lot of young men, it was like very, it's like, finally I can, you know, I can get what I want from women. And, and there were all these techniques around like ne- negging, like, you know, ignoring the woman you want and insulting her, you know, and finally what, what, what came to me was, okay, so that's a great way to attract like really traumatized women. Right. Right. Like, it like you're marketing, you're, you know, you're like marketing, like if you're doing trauma-based marketing, you're going to attract traumatized clients who are still acting out of their trauma and i don't see, i don't see how you're going to be
1: able to you know even
0: if you wanted to turn well, that around
1: well well it well it do, i mean it works because so many people in the culture are traumatized but nearly everyone has had trauma because of, this is a traumatic and traumatizing culture but you're right it does You know, if you notice, so many of those businesses have very strict no refund policies, because if they did, so many people would experience buyer's remorse. You know, and all that pickup artist stuff arises out of the fact that so many men are traumatized. They don't know how to, you know, they don't have access. They've had their, um, I, I know for myself it took me years to regain access to my emotional self, to be able to be vulnerable and soft and know how to connect with people, with women or whoever in an authentic, in a caring way. And, um, and so all of these men, all of these young men are walking around traumatized. They're walking around steeped in toxic masculinity. And of course they're not getting their needs met and they're hurting and, and then somebody promises them oh you can get your needs met this way and it's just it just it's just it's so terrible for the women it's so terrible for the men it's so it's you know and and the people teaching it make money but the truth is that their hearts are being broken also over and over again doing that living that way
0: mm-hmm. yeah um so you talked about, uh, you know, the needs of these people not being met, which was an, another another one of the, you know, jujitsu moves you pulled on me in the book, where you talked <laughs> about neediness. Uh, like, I've never heard the word needy or neediness used in any way that wasn't negative. And you say need- neediness is is divine and it's, you know, a good thing. And we should not be ashamed of our
1: neediness. No, I mean, we're all needy constantly, (laughs) you know, I mean, if I don't breathe 12 times a minute, I'll die and I can't manufacture the air. You know, if I don't eat or I don't drink like we all are needy, we're also it's been shown over and over again, you know, that infants that don't get love and connection um, don't grow and some of them die. You know, it's like neglect is you know our emotional needs and our physical needs are very real the problem is is that in our in this culture we direct our needs in unhealthy ways in ways that don't actually get those needs met and so <clears throat> if we are able to in a healthy way embrace our neediness that enables us to find how to get those needs met to the extent that we can and it also frees us from bringing unconscious neediness into environments and situations where they're not going to get met and they're going to you know undermine our business you know a sales conversation is not a great place to bring unconscious neediness around social connections so many of us have deficits around neediness around community, around real friendships, around love and care. We need to get those met. But if we try to get them met inside a sales conversation, it can really undermine the process and we won't know what's going on, you know? Um, And there's other places, like if we have a need you know, to to be cared for, uh, you know, and to have food on the table and to, you know, or even just to be appreciated, but we bring that into our pricing or into our sales copy and we try to get our needs met there, then you start, things start to get a little twisted if we can face them head on. I talk about how one of the most important capacities that a human being can develop is the capacity to be with uncomfortable emotions. I don't mean staying in toxic situations or being abused or being in a situation where you're being harmed. But there's a lot of situations where the emotions that come up are simply uncomfortable. And if we can have the ability, the capacity to be with those without needing to soothe them or fix them or make them go away, one, we find out they're not fatal. And two, it gives us a lot more spaciousness wisdom, resourcefulness, to be able to access true sources of nourishment for those needs, rather than, you know, like I said, bringing it out in unconscious or sideways ways inside our business that undermine our ability to care for people and to care for ourselves.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, so much of the uncomfortableness Um, that we generate is a mismatch between what's actually going on and what we think, you know, what it's reminding us of or what it's triggering or what it's bringing back to life. Right. So like one of the things I love about business is it's, it's so unforgiving in terms of consequences, right? Like you can, you know, I could pretend I'm like a good person, a loving father, uh, a good neighbor, uh, uh, you know, a, a upstanding community member because there's no scorecard necessarily, but like there's there's a level of of like you know, rub your nose in in reality like business doesn't let you lie to yourself around a bunch of things, and and I think there's there's something bracing about saying that I'm going to take my confused life, my confused mind, my confused world, and put it in a place where where. I can see how I'm impacting reality and that, you know, that I can't make up things that there's, that there's a way in which business can become a conduit for other, other hunger for reality, as opposed to the the, the trauma-based interpretations that I'm putting on everything.
1: Yeah, I hear you. I agree. The only thing that I would disagree with is that business is special in that way. I think that mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I think that there's, You know, there's times where, I mean, my son the other day, they're teens now. My, we have twin teen sons. You know, was I was, I was trying to be loving and caring, but the way I was doing it, my son said, you know, Dan, I wasn't looking for a solution. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, he just wanted to be listened to. He didn't want me to fix something. God, how often fall into that. And so (laughs) there was a scorecard. If I, if I ignore that feedback, I'm eventually going to create maybe sooner than later distance between me and him. in one of my most important relationships in my life. And so I think that life is constantly giving us that feedback from all areas of our life. And it's true that because of the culture in business, we pay really close attention when a sale doesn't go through or the money doesn't show up or, you know, something like that. But I think that, um, uh those same kinds of scorecards if you will are happening all the time in our relationships but if as men especially we're not taught to value or we're not taught how to look for those kinds of um signs then we miss them and so i just uh but i but i absolutely agree that with you that that does happen in business and it does require us to face the reality you know it's like the the I'm, I am a spiritual teacher. I've been trained as a spiritual teacher, a master teacher in my lineage. I teach a lot of on spirituality, but the truth is I'm a really practical person. I cling to spiritual practice with my fingertips. I was a paramedic. I was a shop steward. I do woodworking. We like working with our hands in the ground. I, I love working in business and the practical aspects. Um, healing, like, Privileging the inner over the outer, I think, is one of the big mistakes that a lot of spiritual people, people that are spiritually focused, make. The outer, the physical, is just as sacred. It's just as holy and uh we need to find the love in the sacred structures. You know, there's as much love in my heart and in that peach tree that I can see outside my window. There's as much love in, um, you know, being able to deeply do spiritual healing with a client as there is in uh, the client, the actual physical client agreement that we send. If I'm willing to put it there, (laughs) you know, if I'm willing to let that, flourish and be expressed there. And so um, I don't think we need to be limited in where we find reality or where we find the love. Mm
0: -hmm. So, yeah, I think I think it's, there are ways in which for many of us, it's just a clearer thing, like in, you know, sports, also, like, there's a number, like, it's, it's, it's easy, you know, we all of us can be a little bit ADHD or autistic, Mm-hmm. on various parts of the spectrum like numbers kind of make it easier um and the other the other thing i wanted to ask you about and this is my you know, tortured segue to, to the <laughs> point that i wanted to get to um uh, is so the 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 other thing that you know that had me on my back in your book is money is not energy <laughs> and I'm, it's my podcast so i can say fuck i am so fucking tired of all the people who have tried, you know, whom I've gone to for like getting healing around money. And they're saying it's just energy. And I could and I was like weirded out that I didn't like that. Or it, did, it seemed like it was um yeah. allowing all sorts of horrible things to to be OK. But like until you said it, I'm like, oh, my God, thank God.
1: I don't even I don't even know what you mean yet, but thank God. <laughs> it's so true. You know, I think again that's kind of a bypass approach is to say, well, it's just energy. You know, everything is just energy. I mean, there's a there's a truth in it in that everything is an expression of the divine. If you go below the physical, everything is just an expression of love or an expression of divine presence or expression of energy, or however you want to talk about it. <clears throat> But money only exists as money in the physical plane. And we need to relate to it in the physical way. Like I, again, I'm going to bring it back to, to nature and gardening. You know, the peach tree is just energy. But if all I deal with it is energetically and I don't, you know, but we have a drought and I'm not watering it, it's the it's not going to live. You know, if I don't. Um, give it uh, healthy soil, it's not going to live or it's not going to do well or, you know, be able to produce fruit. If I don't care for its physical needs and the physical environment that it needs, if it doesn't have light, sunlight, if it's planted in shade, there's all these things that we need to pay attention to physically in order for it to thrive if we're going to deal with money, yes, of course, there's a spiritual and energetic aspect that is worth paying attention to. I'm not saying ignore that. But we have to also pay attention to the physical aspects of it in the world. The fact that like, well, it's money and it's buys things and there's ways to be with it that are healthy, you know, and there are ways to be with it that are unhealthy. And if we don't pay attention to that, I think it's a we're doing ourselves a real disservice.
0: So, what what do you see as the problems with the, the pure money equals energy message? Because I, I I know it messed me up, but I can't explain yeah. how. Well, <laughs> you, I think you've, it, seen, I, you've, you've well, been around the block a few more times around this stuff. Well, well,
1: I think what it does is it it then tells people that it's the, like it's <laughs> it all comes and all comes back to capitalism and 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 colonialism and you know, this Western culture, what it's a particularly individualistic way of looking at things. It's like, well, it's just energy. So if your your personal energy isn't right, then you, you know, then you are going to mess Mm. it up. And it, it doesn't give enough weight to the fact like, you know what, you can learn how to be with money. You can get help on how to be with money, you know, I guarantee you people that are very wealthy are not just being energetic about it. they have financial advisors, they have accountants, they have bookkeepers they 're dealing with the numbers of it they 're not dealing <laughs> they 're not just sitting dealing with the energy you know um, so many people come to us saying, "You know what? I think I have a problem receiving." And, uh, but no matter how much I work on my receiving, I'm not getting more money in my business. I say, well, let's look at the business. And I'm like, they don't understand how to hold a sales conversation. They don't have a clear offer. Their messaging isn't clear. They're not, you know, like they they don't have a good way of connecting with people that creates trust. You know, the safety piece we were talking about earlier. When they do that, they learn these different pieces and they put the outer pieces in place and they learn how to hold it in their heart. Suddenly they're making more money. And it's like, yeah, of course, they probably have some issues with receiving. We all do. And it's worth healing, but it's not as big a mountain as they thought it was.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the implication is if I have trouble receiving that I, I have to go, I can't receive, I can't make money until I've healed like every last mommy trauma that I've, you know, that I've ever experienced and then there's no way to move forward. And I think it really reifies this kind of brokenness. It does. I mean, look at all it these, does. Look, look at this. This person who wrote the book telling me that money is
1: energy is raking it in, apparently. Right. Well, of course they are. They because they put their marketing in place and their sales in place and all of that other stuff. I mean, I don't. I mean, <laughs> let's do a survey of all these people who have tens and hundreds of millions of dollars and find out how many of them are completely enlightened and, or you know energetically completely aligned. I mean, really? I mean, the 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 proof. I, it's surprising. It's not surprising to me on one hand, but it's surprising to me on another that that that, that has gained so much traction when it's so clearly not true, <laughs> you know, based on yeah. evidence On how many people are wealthy that um, have done horrible things and are completely unaligned with the good and completely, unal- you know, it's like, what kind of energy is money if that's true, you know so yeah, I mm. if that can bring you some relief, um, that's great. I'm glad. yeah so when I was
0: preparing for this conversation, the, the one thing I did not want to do was have you go through every single one of the steps of business and you know just to to kind of separate it from ethics and morality and spirituality and and love and just go through the steps but, I don't want people to leave this conversation thinking that your book is a book of philosophy. No,
1: it, no, there's some really practical stuff in there. I'm glad you mentioned. Can, thank you for mentioning.
0: Yeah, could you talk just you know market your book for a minute, just because I want, <laughs> I want people to understand what it is.
1: Yes, so we we do start out with the beginning of the book talking about healing around business and around money and around the fact that you can trust yourself and what does that really mean um, in a more profound way, because I found that it's really hard to get your arms around the practical pieces without doing at least some of the healing, not complete healing, but enough so that your heart, feels open again to like oh maybe there is a way through but then we talk really practical ways about the stages of business and what's involved in learning that talk of there's uh two full chapters on marketing and how to get your arms around that there's pieces around productivity around how to be in good healthy relationship with the with different types of projects in your business it's Like I said, we've been helping people grow their businesses, and that takes work and that takes putting things in place. And, you know, is the book everything you need to grow a business? No, there's going to be, there's, uh, that would. You know, you would need many more books to cover all the little details of things. But the intention of the book is to help you have a healthier relationship to business, understand how it develops, understand the pieces that need to be put into place, get your, get your hands dirty in some of these places. And I mean, dirty in terms of like gardening, not in terms of immoral, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I like getting my hands dirty because I dig in the dirt planting things. Um And um, and then be able to tell like, oh, I now understand why my business isn't working or what it needs in order to develop. And I know and now my heart is open enough that I know that, oh, I need to be able to learn this piece. It helps you know where to focus and how to really develop your business over time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's you know, there's lots of great people who can teach those things, you included. But one of the Mm -hmm. gifts you give the reader is. A kind of a um, a discernment about how you know how to protect yourself against predatory business teacher marketers. Right? It's just there's a yes. beautiful moment where you're like, oh, you stopped in a sales conversation where you're being feel felt like you're being pressured for you know a fake, false sense of urgency. And you said, Boy, this this doesn't feel ethical. In fact, I teach sales and I teach that this is an unethical way to proceed. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, like again, as you said, slowing down, slowing it down, and and here listening to your heart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, last question: You wrote a book, much harder than a blog post, much harder than a hundred <laughs> blog posts. I'm curious what you what you knew at the end of writing the book that maybe you didn't know you knew, or that kind of you know arose from from taking on a project that big. It's a really good question.
1: Um, I don't know if there was anything. I mean, I've been doing this for 23 years. I don't think there's anything that was like completely new. Um, But I think one of the things that I really, that was really reinforced and deepened in me is how much, anything worthwhile being done can't be done solo. Like I had so much help getting this book written and getting it out into the world. And over and over again, I needed help applying my own, I won't say my own, the principles that I've discovered and learned or, you know, articulated. Um, I needed help too. I needed help too. And you know, I, I think that that can be a challenge that's uh, you know, like, you, you know, so many people are like, I'm a healer and I'm sick. It's like, well, you need help too. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I help people develop businesses and I need someone to help me too. Like we need help. We're not meant to do this alone and a healthy culture Healthy life, a, a life full of joy and love, is a life that's lived at least in part. I know we all have different amounts of, you know, introvert, extrovert, how much contact, but we can't ever do it truly, completely alone. We need to, we need to be the earth for one another, um, and to lift each other up, and to care for one another, and to do that. Yes, of course we we give care but we also have to be willing to receive care and to be humble enough to do that and um it's been one of the most tender vulnerable things i've done in a long time is asking people to help me get the book out into the world and and it's been really uh a beautiful affirming supportive experience being vulnerable in that way
0: mm-hmm. Love it. So yeah, we have to take our own medicine, right? It's true. (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful. Um, Anything you want to say about the book or anything or about your business? We should talk about your business briefly so people know where to find you.
1: Yeah. Um, Heart of Business lives at heartofbusiness.com. On the homepage, if you scroll down, you can download an excerpt from the book. Yeah, the book. Hey. um uh you know it's a book you know like a lot of times like getting learning or training or coaching is an investment right it costs money to provide it it costs money to get it it's worth it but you know take your time figuring out who resonates if you've taken anything away that's positive from this from what i've been saying but maybe I don't personally or our approach doesn't personally resonate. find somebody who does and learn from them. Um, but you know a great way to dive more deeply into what we're doing is to start by getting the book to get on our email list to um, to like let us send you help and see if it resonates. and then if it does, you'll know if you want to get you know get more help from us.
0: Right. right. Is there an
1: audio version? um not yet okay. um it's not currently planned for meaning that we just launched this and i would like to do that but there's nothing been scheduled yet you know we'll okay. see would, how it all would influence. you re- would you
0: would you be the reader
1: i hope I so, hope so. <laughs> i hope so i'd like to
0: be excellent all right mark silver of heart of business author of heart centered business um thank you so much for writing this book i I got healing from it um i hope thank you for you know sharing your spirit with us here i'm i'm sure that a lot of what readers watchers listeners um will will find balm in it as well for their own um,
1: journeys of contribution and love thank you so much i'm so grateful to be here Howie, and for the work that you do in the world
0: all right. Well, thanks a lot. I'll talk to you again soon.
1: Yes, I hope so.
0: Peace. And that's a wrap. You can get the show notes with links to Mark's business in the book at plantyourself.com slash five, six, nine. So I'm recording this early in the morning. NYC time U S Eastern coast just landed last night, spent the night here and got all sorts of fun adventures and excitement to do over the next couple of weeks. Um, so the frisbee tournament is in two weeks, so I have to sort of uh, keep, in terms of movement news, got to keep moving, keep building cardiovascular strength at least for this week before I taper, while not re-injuring. So I'm thinking of you know jogs in Central Park and uh, fun stuff like that, and uh, it'll be good to to see some folks. I know I have a, a bunch of people from uh, Florida that we're gonna connect with during during the uh, half times and between games, and. Um, it's fun, kind of, to be back here to, to be to have fall and to see all the little subtle differences between the um, U.S. and Spain that I hadn't, you know, really noticed because I've just become used to them. So it's a, a little bit of a cultural uh, re reentry and reacclimation, and I'll keep letting you know how it's going. So, um, as always, be well, my friends.